Why don't we lift up his name in this morning? Why don't you praise him, Jesus? Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah. Worthy is that beautiful name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name that I would call in a time of need. There is no other name greater than the name of Jesus. This morning, you have the ability to call out Jesus. I challenge you, call out to Jesus this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't we sing that chorus one more time? Worthy is his name. Hallelujah. Jesus, thank you. <clears throat> thank you, worship team, for getting us closer to the presence of God. It's good to praise God. Amen. How many are you happy to be in the house of God? You have chosen the best place to be this morning and spend your time with other brothers and sisters who are also seeking God. Amen. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts 16, worship team, thank you. <clears throat> I want to give honor to my pastor for giving me the privilege to speak to you this morning. It is with full conviction and full humility that I speak to you this morning. And as we read the word of God, let us penetrate our lives and let us remind ourselves daily, this is a book of life. Amen. Amen. This is a book you can turn to and seek for truth and seek at a time of a storm. This is a book where you can find an answer to a trouble you may be in. Amen. Chapter 16, verse 22 says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the, the jailer to keep them safely. We're talking about Paul and Silas. Verse 24 says, Who having received such a charge, trust them in the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Today I want to preach to you from this title, Saved by His Name. Saved by his name. Why don't we go into prayer and just let God move in our hearts this morning, clear our minds from any distraction. Lord, we ask you to speak to us this morning, God. Deliver us, Lord, from any temptation to be distracted. Let us focus unto you, Jesus, as we hear your word this morning, God. Reveal to us, God, what you would like to speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. And I'd like to first talk to you and set the 
the setting, set the environment in which Paul and Silas will be found in the upcoming verses. Imagine yourself in this time as the night settled over the city of Philippi, darkness enshrouded the once bustling prison where Paul and Silas were confined. Within its cold, damp walls, the air was thick with, and with despair and the weight of injustice bruised and bloodied from their severe beating. The two faithful apostles found themselves in chains, their bodies confined, but their spirits unyielding. Amid the darkness, there was an unusual stillness that engulfed the prison, punctuated only by the soft groans and whispers of fellow prisoners. Paul and Silas, rather than succumbing to despair, had chosen a different path. They had, made, they had made a deliberate decision to offer up praise and worship to God, lifting their voices in harmony to the one who had their hearts. Their melodic rhymes or their melodic hymns echoed through the confined space, a stark contrast to the heaviness that filled the air. The power of their faith reverberated through the walls, reaching the ears of the other prisoners who listened. Perhaps you and I can picture ourselves in that prison hearing those hymns being lifted up to God. The prisoners, perhaps, who listened were puzzled to the songs of hope amidst the suffering. And then, as if responding to the fervent praises of his faithful servants, an unexpected force shook the very foundation of the prison. A violent earthquake struck, reverberating through the floors and walls, causing the chains that bound Paul and Silas to fall to the ground. The prison doors, once tightly shut, were thrust open and freedom beckoned. Imagine the astonishment and the fear that gripped the hearts of the prisoners as the earthquake's, earthquake's force shook to their word. For a moment, time seemed suspended, and the darkness of the night was overshadowed by the sudden divine intrusion. In that moment, the ordinary became extraordinary as the hand of God manifested itself in a tangible, earth-shaking way. I'll continue that momentarily. As you probably start to be accustomed, I love to leave in suspense. Perhaps that allows you to listen closer. Uh, but we continue and we read in the book of Acts. This was, um, I've been studying the book of Acts uh, for, for several weeks. And for, for a period of time, I've been talking with my wife and I've been telling her there's something about the name of Jesus that just keeps calling and drawing to me, calling and drawing to me and calling. And it's almost as if it wasn't going away until we come to a revelation or until I came to a revelation. And it is by studying the scripture that God showed me and in other times before that there is power in the name of Jesus, that there is weight in his name, that if you are in a time of need, you call on that name. Amen. And we can go through several stories in the Bible where we see time and time again where we, the, the, the characters in the story call out to Jesus in their time of need. But I want to start this morning as well by sharing a personal testimony. Many of you are witness to this miracle. Many of you have seen 
Evelyn come through these doors. And perhaps you don't know everything that has passed thus far. But today, on this day, on the Sunday before next, where my daughter is to be, forgive me the word, I'm thinking in Spanish, dedicated, dedicated. It is something that on October 23rd, it was a Sunday night actually, we were home, my wife was in the hospital, she had been in the hospital for many days already. There was an issue or something was going on that her body was just not behaving appropriately and somehow her body was saying it's time to go into birth. But for many days it was like this. I remember we were actually prior to that, maybe two weeks prior, uh, it was a Saturday or, or a Friday, I was out helping a friend from work. The hurricane had just passed, their house was devastated. And I was lending them a hand, helping them with other uh, guys from work. And I remember getting a phone call from my wife, and she said, Honey, I'm headed to the hospital. And I remember just hearing her. There wasn't a shroud of fear in her voice. She said, Hey, I'm just letting you know I'm going to the hospital. I said, Well, I'm dropping everything, and I'm going. And she didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. But we knew something was changing. There was a part of our, it's almost as if you come across a point in your life that all of a sudden you know you are forever going to be changed. You are forever not going to be the same person. And that day may have been the day that you met Jesus. But in this moment, Jesus was in my life. But I knew this was a turning point of some sort. She headed to the hospital. We went to the hospital. The nurses, the doctors, they all checked around. They said, hey, uh, it looks like you're dilating. And it looks like, you know, the, the wall is thinning and you could do, go into labor at any moment. You are not to be bed rest. It's mandatory. You can't lift a finger because we don't want this baby to come yet. Every day that baby is in there is another day that baby has a chance to make it. We need you to stay bed rest. And those were the instructions that they gave her. And she followed them to the T. She stayed in that hospital. Everybody came to visit. Some of you went to visit. I appreciate We thank you for that. We felt the love. Family went to visit. I took care of the girls. I called work. And I said, hey, I can't travel anymore. That's it. I got to stay home. I, if I can do my job from home, great. If not, I got to take time off. My boss, without hesitation, said, take care of your family. Work's going to be here. Don't worry about us. We'll help you. His boss called me. He says, hey, I've heard what's going on. We're here to help, whatever you need. His boss called. Everybody in, in within my department, I never felt the support that I felt from my job. And each and every single one of us reached out. Unbeknownst to me, that they too would be witnesses of this miracle. I did not know the impact my life and the life of Evelyn would have anybody else at work. Fast forward to October 23rd, 2022. Sunday night, we're at home with the daughters, and it was, it was a normal practice for us to go visit Kay at the hospital. She was there every day. She couldn't leave. We would visit in the day, come back at night, visit in the morning, come back, visit at night, come back. And this is just routine now. And we almost felt like, okay, if this is all that it's going to be, it's all right. We can handle this. We can take care of things. Her sister flew from California to support and help us with the girls. She would stay home. She would stay with her. And it was almost as if God knew... I would need further support because that very week that her sister came down, we didn't know, but she just came to support and help. That very same week, on October 23rd, I get a call around 10.30 at night, and it's my wife. 
and she's crying and she's telling me, honey, they're going to put me into labor and in surgery and C-section, emergency C-section. There's something wrong. And the doctor says, this is it. This is it. And I just remember briefly telling her, honey, don't worry. In God's name, it's going to be okay. And I'll be honest with you right now. I said those words, but there was fear. There was undoubt. There was doubt. There was I didn't know what was going on, but I knew from everything that I've read before, if we call on God in our time of need, God will respond. I didn't know how he was going to respond. I didn't know if he had actually heard me, but I knew from past experiences, I knew from past people, from other testimonies that I've seen, that if I needed God, that was the moment to call on to him. And I hung up the phone I, I called my mom. I said, Mom, this is it. It's happening. My mom rushed over to take care of the girls. I called my, my mother-in-law. I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, if you can't get a hold of Kaylani, this is what's going on. She burst into tears. It was a very emotional moment. And I, all I could tell her, I said, hey, it's in God's hands. We're okay. Whatever happens, happens. It's going to be fine, and I'm trying to keep things calm. But inside of me, there was a storm. There was something that could not keep me still. I needed to reach out to God. I needed to call out to him and say, God, I need you more than ever before. This is the time. I'm telling you, when there is a calm in your heart or when there is a storm in your heart, there is one you can call out to. And in that moment, God said, you know what? Just go be with your wife. My mom came, took care of the girls. I rushed to the hospital. I'll be honest, I probably didn't obey all the speed limits on the way there. But I made it. I ran into the hospital, and she was already in surgery. My sister-in-law was with her in the room. I thanked God for many things, but for that moment, I think that there was somebody with her that she could feel the support as well. And all I could do was wait. I'm telling you that those 30 or 40 minutes were probably some of the longest minutes I've ever experienced in my life. When I saw the doors, every time I saw the doors fling open and a rush come out, my heart would palpitate because I would fear, hey, that's probably news that I'm going to receive. I had nothing to yourself when nobody would tell me anything. All I could do was just wait. And at that time, we were at the peak of, you know, or COVID stuff, and you couldn't go in there without a mask and all these things. And her, my sister-in-law came out, and I saw her. I said, okay, well, you know, here we go. She, her face was just kind of, she wouldn't give anything away. And she rushed over to me. She says, hey, the baby's been born, but the doctor's going to come out and talk to you. And at that moment, I was like, well, that can't be good because, you know, why wouldn't you tell me what's going on? But she just didn't know. And it was right around 2 in the morning, the doctor came out, and he says, hey, just want to let you know the surgery went well. The baby's alive. I felt the peace in my heart because I knew at that time God was sustaining everything. He was guiding the doctors, the nurses, and everybody. And at that point, I think we had already alerted the church. There was people praying for us, our family, friends that we didn't know were praying for us were praying for us. There was love coming from everywhere. But I kept turning to Jesus and just telling him, God, I need you. I don't know what else to do. I don't know what's about to come, but whatever it is, we are in your hands. And the 
the doctor said, hey, just want to let you know, here are some things you can expect from a baby that was born at 23 weeks, one pound and four ounces. There is a 50% chance in the next four hours that your baby will not make it. And I just have to be upfront with you. You have to prepare for that. And in my heart, I just, I couldn't fathom that. I couldn't understand that God would give me something and all of a sudden take it away. But in my heart, I was like, well, God, if that's what you have to do. You're at a moment where you have no control. I have never, ever felt like I was never in control as I did in that moment. Nothing I could do, nothing I could physically do could change anything. But there was one thing I could continually do, and that was continue to pray, continue to seek God, continue to ask for his love and support. And it was then the four hours passed. I actually, uh, my sister-in-law stayed. The doctor says, hey, you can't see your wife tonight. You may as well go home and rest. Your, your wife's fine. We'll talk late. We'll, we'll talk tomorrow. I went home. It was probably, you know, 3 or 4 in the morning. And the very next day, we rushed over again to the hospital. My wife was already in her own room. And they told me everything, that my wife had actually an infection. And it was the infection that triggered the birth because the body was trying to get rid of the infection and not knowing it was trying to get rid of the baby in the same circumstance. Her life was in danger. Kay's life was in danger. And had it not been for this miraculous event, the life of Kaylani and the life of Evelyn could not or would have been in jeopardy. So sometimes in the midst of a storm, when we think we're at the point of suffering, where we think we are in a moment where we don't want to be in, we don't realize God is doing something else. God is protecting you from something else. You may not even know it. You're only focused on the suffering, but there is a blessing that is also over here. You're only focused on the trouble, but there is a healing that's occurring over here. I'm telling you right now, I am witness to this miracle, but I'm also witness for the life of Kayleni. We sometimes don't talk about it, but the reason she's here today is because Evelyn came in early. The reason she's alive is because God allowed what transpired to happen. It's difficult to understand that in the moment because I didn't understand it. But the doctor shared, hey, the four hours have passed, the first 24 hours have passed, the next six days are crucial. And every day it was a milestone. Every single day, it went from one setting of a ventilator to another setting, and, and all of a sudden, we would get a good report and says, hey, your baby's doing good. She's, the ventilator's working. We, we turned down the oxygen setting because it looks like she's picking up. And then we would get a phone call, hey, you need to be ready to come to the hospital because this could be it. Those are the calls we would just get, and we would be inundated with information from the doctors. All of that while life is happening outside. All of that while work is going on. All of that while we have two little ones at home. All of that is happening. I'm telling you, your prayers have supported us throughout it. Your thoughts, your support, your love, the church, when there is a body of Christ, as we experienced it, the way the Bible tells us that we are to be with one another, brothers and sisters, not just the literal meaning, but the support that we show another, that is true. We felt it, and we thank you for that. As the time passed, every week it seemed to be getting better, and it felt like load and a burden was coming off of us. We didn't know how long Kay had to be in the hospital, and then the doctors came to their conclusion that she could be released and she could come home. 
And that was another struggle. Now we have, you know, a baby at home and Kay at home. I mean, a baby in the hospital, Kay at home, and we have to travel back and forth, back and forth. We did this for about four months. In the sake of time, I'm not going to tell you everything that happened, but I'm telling you, it was not easy. But as I look back at everything that has happened in my life, this was the perfect time for it to have happened. I used to travel to Miami every single week, you know this, and God pulled me out of there and planted me here. All of a sudden, we have this situation, but now I have the time to take care of our girls. All of a sudden, we're going through a struggle. We're going through a tribulation that is not easy. But God is telling you, just keep there. I have everything in control. I never physically heard him tell me that, but I felt it every day. I felt it when I came through these doors. I felt it when people would lay their hands upon me. I felt it when people would text me. There was people that just text me. I didn't know they were praying for me. I've talked about this before, but there was a surrounding support and a love from God that we've never felt before. Why am I sharing all of this? Because in Acts, we see many miracles. We see many ways that in the time of need, people call out to Jesus. They declare his name and power. And it's the reason I'm standing here today and the reason later through those doors my daughter's going to walk through is the reason next week we're going to dedicate her to God because she is a miracle. She's living every day. She's healthy as can be. There's nothing wrong with her. The doctors told us her vision's fine. Her eyes are development just as normal. Her height, her weight, everything is according to where she should be had she been born in February. If that is not a miracle that I see every day, I don't know what else to tell you. But just to tell you that our God is merciful. So when you see me crying at the altar, when you see me just overjoyed with gratitude, there's a reason why. And I tell you that why. Because it's the name of Jesus that I called out. If you can, put up to several different ways you can call out to Jesus. You can call out to Jesus in English, Jesus in Espanol, Jesu in, in Italian. You can call him in Portuguese, Jesus. You can call him in Chinese, Isu. You can call him in Mandarin, Isu Christe. You can call him in every name. I'm telling you, whether you can say it or not, if your mind says, Jesus, Jesus. He will hear your cry. Jesus will hear your cry as he heard mine and as he heard the cry of Paul and Silas. As we go back to the story, the unexpected moment where freedom appears to be in front of their eyes, the jailer's worst fear, the one in charge who was demanded to keep them there, unsure of what to do next, panicked, took out his sword, and was about to take in his own life. Why did the author, why did Luke tell us, share us this? Why did all of a sudden this was included in the Bible? You got to remember in Greco-Roman culture, there is uh, the way they lived and the way society cared about themselves was not always uh, about what they had uh, monetary-wise,
But it was almost as if honor was a currency. Their family's honor, the honor they carried, the way they did their job. That was the way they would honor their family. So honor was something very important to them. And this jailer, he was giving a role. He was giving a task. And to him, it would be a dishonor to him and his family if he wouldn't have done his job. Paul and Silas were put in jail because <clears throat> there was a, a, a woman who was following them around who had an evil um, demon. She was demon-possessed, and she could foretell the future, and she was following them around. But it's even interesting in there. Let's actually turn there. Acts 3, 6. Nope. I apologize. I lost my place. It's okay. We'll get back to it. But she was following them around. If someone knows exactly where it's at, you feel free to tell me. I can turn to it. If somebody, uh, she was following them around proclaiming that these are the men who are preaching the word and preaching salvation. It's, all, it's interesting. Here's what's, what's interesting about that. Perfect. Thank you. Let's turn there real quick. Yes, there it is. Thank you. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed by a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. She was a slave, <coughs> and her job was to predict the future or to tell people what the future was. And that's how the, her masters made money. <coughs> so she was a, a source of income. And the same followed Paul and us, Paul and Silas, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. Isn't it interesting that a demon possessed, or someone who is spirit-filled possessed by an enemy, knew exactly who these men were? That enemy knew exactly these men carried the word of truth, carried the word of salvation. From afar, the enemy knows exactly who you are. If you are preaching truth, if you are carrying God's mission and you are doing what God has appointed you to do, I'll tell you right now, it's, gonna, it's not going to be cakewalk. There will be enemy who calls you out. There will be enemy who tries to mock you. And this woman tried to do just that. And as, did, and as this did she many days, so it wasn't just once, but she followed them around, pestering them, saying it out loud. There was no glory for them for this. She was doing it out of spite. She was doing it to prevent this from happening. She was trying to do it to make sure people didn't turn to, to them. Why? Because if people are liberated, if people are saved by the name of Jesus, they don't have to turn to the enemy for a divine intervention. They don't have to turn to the enemy for fortune telling. Why? Because they're liberated. Their minds are open. They are now seeing the truth for what it is. So this was a hindrance to this woman, to the masters of this woman. They saw this as, hey, they're going to ruin our game here. We don't want this person coming in here telling the truth. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit. Notice he didn't turn and say it to the woman. He knew who was behind the woman. 
He turned to the spirit and said, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out in the same hour. It wasn't later. It wasn't after. It was in that moment. There was authority in the name of Jesus. But I tell you what, when Paul said that to that spirit, he didn't say it trembling. He didn't say it, maybe this will work. He didn't say, oh, perhaps. He said it, I commend thee. He was showing that he has dominion over. He has authority over the enemy. He didn't give a room for excuse. He said, you're going to leave and you're going to flee in the name of Jesus Christ. And the reason they ended in jail was because they set somebody free. Her master's Verse 19, her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone. They caught Paul and Silas. They, th they drew them into the marketplace unto the roof and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble. Interesting. Setting people free is trouble in their cities. It is when it doesn't meet their agenda. So when somebody comes up to you and you, they say, and you are a troublemaker, but you are carrying God's worth, what they're doing is they're trying to remove you from someone you're trying to liberate. I'm telling you right now, if you feel a calling to go talk to somebody about Jesus, you go right ahead and do that. You have the authority inscribing the word of God to go ahead and do that. Amen. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe by Romans. And we, we read verse 22. They threw them in jail. Verse 25. As I come to a close, maybe. <laughs> At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. At midnight, how many of us have been at a crucial? At midnight, perhaps the reader was trying to emphasize how late it was, how perhaps everybody should have been asleep, how perhaps being, look, being in a prison is no fun game, even in today's standards. I wouldn't want to be in a prison, but in those times, if you could just share the picture without the words, imagine yourself in a stone-filled, dark room when there is nothing that you can do for fun. I'm telling you, going to prison was not something that they wanted to do, was not something people enjoyed to do. There were other prisoners in there with them. Who knows why they were in there, but they were in there for a reason. Paul and Silas reminded themselves, and they probably thought, Instead of going to sleep, why don't we praise our God? What did they have to praise God for? What did they have to thank God for? They were in prison. They were in tribulation. They were in trouble. Well, it wasn't something joyful, but I'm telling you what, at all times, we are to praise God. Whether you're in trouble or you're in a good position, you go ahead and you praise God. Joel, Joel Urshan said, what happens if you put a praiser inside a prison? Well, I'll tell you what happens. The story continues and reads on. In that moment, the ordinary became extraordinary as the hand of God manifested itself in a tangible, earth-shaking way. With the prison doors flung wide open, the jailer wanting to take his life. Now at this unexpected moment of freedom, the jailer's worst fear became a reality. His prisoners had escaped. He thought, they're gone. I mean, I don't know about a prisoner, but if they see a door that's open, the first thing in their mind is thinking, I'm out that door. But that's not what happened. 
Because this was not just a break, a prison break. This was a divine intervention by God. There was a purpose in this. There was a reason Paul and Silas were in that prison. There is a reason those prisoners were about to be witness to one of the most wonderful things that had ever occurred in their life. In the midst of this turmoil, Paul's voice rang out. Do not harm yourself. He's telling the jailer, don't kill yourself. Again, why did the jailer want to kill himself? Because of dishonor he would bring to himself and to his family. If, it, if he takes his own life, then the family wouldn't have to be dishonored. They would say, hey, well, the jailers killed him on their way out. So all things, right? The jailer, drawn by the power beyond his understanding. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes people come to church, they don't know why they come to church. I'll tell you why. Because it's beyond your understanding. God brought you to this church. God brought you to listen to a sermon. God brought you to listen to somebody preach to you today. It's divine intervention is what it is. He rushed into the inner prison, his heart pounding in the chest. And there, in the presence of the liberated prisoners, he witnessed something remarkable, the peace and a light that transcended the darkness. As Paul and Silas explained the message of salvation, where did he explain that? It says, verse 26, uh, Acts chapter 16, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. Let's skip down to verse 29. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I'll pause real quick there. Please remind yourself that in this moment of time, there was no reason for this jailer to know that Paul and Silas were carrying out the word of salvation. So his ask of being saved was a merely temporal and physical ask. He was asking them, how can I be saved from the dishonor I'm about to bring upon my family for letting all these jailers escape? He had no idea about eternal salvation. He had not heard the word. But did Paul miss an opportunity to preach to this man? Did Paul miss the opportunity to say, you know what? You're asking me for the physical and temporal, yet I'm going to bring you the word of salvation and the eternal. What we have to remind ourselves is when somebody is in need out there, yes, it's okay to help them out in the physical. Yes, it's okay to give alms. Yes, it's okay to give an offering. But the one thing they need, the one thing that is everlasting, the one thing that they will hold on to their dear life is salvation. So I challenge you, when you give somebody the word of God, yes, help them in the physical. But beyond that, give them the salvation of truth and eternal life. Amen. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. The salvation wasn't just for him. It was for his whole household. He wanted him and his household to be saved from dishonor. Guess what? When you join a part of the king. Uh, you become a prince and a queen. You have the highest honor you could ever possibly want. I don't want to be a king in this world. I want to be the son of the kings of kings. I want to be able to spend my eternal life with him because that is the greatest honor you could bestow upon you and your family. And he took them the same hour. Paul didn't miss a step. The same hour of the night, he washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straight away. Notice the author is telling us the sense of urgency to save somebody's life. I'm not criticizing anybody, but somebody that 
not in this church, just someone I know, once told me, well, why do you guys baptize right away? Why? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. They have to be indoctrinated. They have to learn all these things. Almost like you have to go through a 50 essay exam to understand why you need to be baptized. And I see this word, and it says, he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized straight away. Paul understood the urgency of saving someone's soul. If you understand, hey, God's going to be my Savior, and you understand water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is the way to eternal life, I think you're already there. I think God has revealed to you and has a revelation set in your heart. I don't think I have to make it any more difficult for you. I should be a vessel and a way to get you there. I should not be a stumbling block for somebody to get them to Jesus. I'll let Jesus educate them on the rest. Amen. Straight away. And when he brought them into the house, and in closing with this, if you may stand. And when he brought them into his house, now this is the jailer. The jailer brought Paul and Silas into his house. He sat neat before them. He fed Paul and Silas, the jailer, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his household. There was a change in the jailer. He was no longer the same man he was before he encountered Paul and Silas. Better yet, he was not the same man before he was baptized in the name of Jesus. Jesus' name saved that man's life. Jesus' name changed this man for the better. He fed meat. He gave food. I'm telling you, in those Greco-Roman times, when you give food to someone, you're giving everything you've got in your household. You're giving something that's precious to you. You're showing honor to your guest. Inviting you over to my house for a meal, I'd be doing the same thing. I'm telling you how much I appreciate and love you. Paul and Silas felt this love and compassion from the jailer now. And we all know that they were to be released, and Paul says, nope, the, the magistrates and those people put us in here, they have to come and ask and, and liberate us. They can't just stand behind those walls. They have to see. There was a reason Paul wanted those people to come in and take him out of that jail. Paul wanted to show them the power of God opening those doors, the earthquake shattering the prison. But that wasn't just what he wanted to do. He probably wanted them to see the jailer being a changed man, that the gospel of Jesus was not just for the jailer. It was also for those that imprisoned them. It's also for you and I, the Gentiles, everyone who's seeking after God. And I leave you with this. In conclusion. We are to embrace the power of Jesus' name. I shared my testimony. Every day I look at my daughter. Sometimes I just begin to weep. Because I'm overjoyed and I get to experience that daily. Yesterday we were, I was holding her in my seat and my daughter... She was making her chuckle. She was just, this is the first time she was like chuckling full on laughter. Parents who have kids know what that feels like. I wanted to cry. And I just thought of Jesus. You did this. The jailer and his household were saved because of the name of Jesus. You that are here today, you were saved because of the name of Jesus. 
there will be many more people who are saved because of the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Call out to that name this morning. Amen. Let's go ahead and just reach out to Jesus. Call on that name. 
There is power in it. Hallelujah. As we move on to prayer for our next service, just continue to pray for those who are not here, for those that are in a time of need, because your prayers and I prayers, they work. Amen. God listens to those prayers. Thank you. Enjoy.